Today's word is from Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to your word and we're grateful again that you are a God who speaks you speak that you might make yourself known, that you might reveal things to us that we would not know if it was not you who was speaking and telling us this. And so we pray by your Holy Spirit that this morning as we consider Psalm 37, your word, that you would speak in particular ways to each of us that we need to hear from you, that we would gain wisdom for living in this world, that we would know how to love you and how to love Jesus and know your love for us in Jesus. We pray these things in and through Christ. Amen. So uh, recently my kids have been into the movie Inside Out. I don't know if anybody else has uh, enjoyed this movie or watched it a bunch. It's a Pixar movie about a girl named Riley and her emotions. So the majority of the movie actually takes place inside this girl's head. And the main characters, her emotions, uh, joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger. These characters, these emotions interact with what she's experiencing uh, in life. They interact with, with her memories. They give shape to who this girl is and who she's becoming. And in many ways, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic movie. There's a lot of great stuff in it. It's a really great thing just to, to teach kids, maybe even adults, what to do with emotions and, and to think about emotions. Uh, in the movie Inside Out, the character, Anger, who's voiced by uh, Lewis Black, he's introduced and he's this uh, stocky red character. He slams his fists a lot and hits things. He yells a lot and then fire comes like bursting out of his head. And we're told as he's introduced, this is anger. He cares very deeply about things being fair. The psalm that we're gonna look at this morning 
is meant to address and help us navigate the challenge of seeing or experiencing personally something that's wrong, that's bad, something that's not the way it's supposed to be. The psalm, if you were listening, it, it regularly speaks of evil, and evil here doesn't have to be some extreme category in our minds, a, a category that's only reserved for the most awful and the most egregious. In Hebrew, the word evil refers to that which is detrimental to life or its fullness. Evil is, quite simply, the opposite of good, that which is not good, which is destructive or hurtful to our lives physically or morally or relationally, that which departs from the good, from the way that life was meant to be enjoyed and experienced, is at least a degree of evil. We live in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be, and there are all sorts of degrees of evil that we experience. And when you live in a world with evil, where things are not always fair, what are you supposed to do? And what are you supposed to do with the emotion of anger that often rises quickly in those situations? This past spring, um, my son's club soccer team, we were playing a game against another team. Uh, even though this is U8 level soccer, these games are extremely competitive and often very physical. I personally don't have an issue with that. I think, I think it's a part of sports. Uh, it's a part of the game. But in this particular game, we had a very inexperienced ref. Can you imagine where this might go? <laughs> toward the end of the game, one of our players was on a breakaway, like heading toward the, the, the goal we were trying to score on, when out of nowhere, one of the other team's players comes in from behind and slide tackles our player, completely taking out his legs and not touching the ball at all. If you know anything about soccer, that is a foul. It's a tactical foul, which means it's at least a yellow card. It could be a red card because of the danger to the player. The ref makes no call. The players are upset. The coach is upset. The parents are upset. I'm upset. That was wrong. That was dangerous. Can you think of examples like that in your life? Whether it be a child sporting event, or maybe you know you are a you are a you know youth. You're in school, and something happened in your school that's just wrong. Or you're a parent, and you know of something that happened in your kid's school, or something that happened in your workplace, or something that happened in your friend group or in a relationship. Something is said. Something is done. It's not right. It's wrong. What do you do? How do you respond? From relatively small examples of something unjust, unfair, bad, detrimental to relationships and the enjoyment of life, to the much just bigger kinds of evil and injustice and full-on wickedness in our world, how are you supposed to respond? What are you supposed to do? This psalm, Psalm 37, is a wisdom psalm. There are many similarities with this psalm and parts of the book of Proverbs, which is a wisdom book in the Old Testament. And the point of wisdom literature is to help us to know how to live well in God's world. Practical wisdom for life. And the practical question and situation this psalm raises is, 
How are you supposed to live, and what are you supposed to do with the reality of evil in the world? What are you supposed to do with people who do wrong, and who even at times get ahead by doing wrong? And obviously, like this, this isn't theoretical. This is the world that we live in. And in some ways, perhaps, it's even more challenging for us in this time and place in history because we're in a world that constantly puts in front of us clips and images of what's not right. We have a greater ability to see the unfair, unjust, broken, evil things before our eyes. We can watch a 24-hour news cycle if we want to. We are encouraged to comment, like, repost, share on social media, often without much thought or reflection. We're a society that's amped up for rage. So let's look at this psalm this morning. I'll invite you to have it out as we work through parts of it. And I want us to consider very simply these, these three things. What we must not do. What we should do and how to do it. So first, what we must not do. Look at verse one, where it says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Now when I read that first part, fret not yourself, I immediately think of worry or anxiety. But actually in Hebrew, the verb here means to burn or get heated or become hot. And it's a reflexive verb, meaning it's something that you are doing to yourself. The idea is don't stew and get all heated in the presence of evil. So one of, one of the dads on uh, the soccer team, his son plays on Liam's soccer team, he records all the games, which is awesome because we get to have like Premier League like commentary and highlights of like U8 level club games, which is nerdy and that's okay, but that's what we do in our house. So you can watch all the awesome things that happen, you can watch things, oh, maybe we see that pass next time, that guy was open over there, it's great. Except for in that situation, because now, if you wanted to, you could watch that clip over and over and over again. You could watch it at slow motion. And what is that going to do? It's probably gonna get you angry all over again. It's going to stir the pot. It's going to chew you up. It's going to keep the memory alive. You might want to talk about it, remember it, get upset about it all over again. And that's just like, that's an example, right? It's illustrative of how we tend to respond when something evil or some kind of injustice or unfairness happens. I mean, can you think of examples in your own life where you have replayed the hurtful event, the hurtful comment, the hurtful conversation for the 10th, 20th, 100th time. It's like God knows us very well because three times in this psalm, we're given the exact same command. We saw it in verse one, look at verse seven, verse eight, fret not yourself or perhaps better, don't heat yourself up. Don't stir the pot of anger inside. And also, verse 1, we're told, do not be envious or jealous of wrongdoers, those whose lives are bent and crooked, bent away from God, out of whack with the good, the way things God made things to be. Don't see their deeds and be drawn in by them. 
And I think there's two dangers that you can kind of see here. So you can imagine, right, that you see someone in your life, in your situation, at school, at work, wherever, and you see that they are getting ahead, they are achieving, they are winning, they are getting success, and the way they're doing it is through some bent and kind of crooked way. And one danger is you just kind of decide to defect from the way of God because this obviously seems to work and you can get what you want. But perhaps the other temptation, maybe that's not your temptation, the other temptation is the logic that says, well, you know, you have to fight fire with fire. And so maybe anger and malice and slander and violence isn't ideal, but you have to fight fire with fire, right? And so while perhaps you still want the ultimate good and you want to achieve that ultimate good, the way that you seek to do it, you're drawn in to use the tools and the weapons of evil. And we're going to spend two weeks on this psalm. This, this is a long psalm. So we're going to spend a lot more time next week thinking about this. But in these opening verses, we are reminded why we must not respond to the bad in our world by stoking the fires of anger inside, by envying those who do wrong, because those who do evil, who live bent away from God, verse 1, those who prosper and are successful through evil plans, verse 7, will, verse 9, be cut off. Verse 10, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Look at verse 2, where it says, Those who do evil and wrong will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. One uh, Old Testament Hebrew scholar that I was reading comments on this metaphor, and he says, Fade and wither teach that sin contains the seeds of its own impermanence. It has no lasting potential. Think about that. Sin contains the seeds of its own impermanence. In the end, God is going to win. God, the giver of life, the source from whom all goodness flows. He is goodness himself. He is going to win. He is going to last. Pursuing gain or winning in a way that's bent away from God, that's at odds with him, it already has an expiration date set on it. It cannot bring about the lasting things that you want. It will fail. You engage in it. You participate in it to your own harm. We're told, verse 8, refrain from anger and wrath. Again, not heating ourselves up. Why? Because it only tends to evil. I want you to think about it. Think just practically. When you get angry, when you get heated, when wrath perhaps burns in you, how well equipped are you to do good? Like, have you ever tried to confront someone in that state? Like, have you ever tried to confront a friend or had a conversation with your spouse when you were very angry or dealt with something at work or disciplined a child? How did it go? Do you, see, do you see the wisdom here? Don't feed the fire. It only corrupts you. It only spreads the evil. It doesn't defeat evil. You may get some kind of short-term gain. You may win a battle. 
but you're going to lose the war. You're setting fire and giving air to a fire that will destroy and spread. We must not do this, the psalm says. So, when we're confronted with evil in the world, what should we do? We must reorient ourselves to God. We must turn and look up to God. The things that we're not meant to do is to right, look out at the evil and envy it. And we're not meant to turn in on ourselves with the anger. Rather, we are to look up to God. One of the main issues with the anger that we're told not to express and stoke in ourselves in this psalm is that it, it is godless. It operates apart from relationship with the God that we were meant to know and trust and cry out to. If you were to read the Psalms from Psalm 1 up to Psalm 37, you would see lots of Psalms where the writer is crying out to God with frustration, at times with anger, with deep hurt, with confusion. It's not that it's the emotion that is so much the problem, it's what we're doing with it. Is this thing turning you in on yourself or is it directing you to God? The psalm calls us in these moments of experiencing some kind of evil to do two things. To look up to Yahweh and do good. I say Yahweh if you're like, Yahweh, what, what is that? It, Yahweh is what the text says. It doesn't use the generic term for God, almost which is kind of at times more of like an office, like the president. It doesn't use a term that other religions and people in the ancient Near East might have used to talk about their gods. Wherever you see in this text, Lord, all in capital letters, that is God's personal name. It's the name associated with his covenant relationship with his people. And the object of all of these commands is Yahweh. Trust in, delight in, commit your way to, be still before Wait patiently for Yahweh. And that's really important because we're not being told to trust some generic deity. When the name Yahweh is used, the, the psalm is specifically pointing us to the God who has acted in history, who has demonstrated his character. The God who binds himself in covenantal relationship with his people, who gives the law, who delivers and saves, who makes promises, whose track record and character can be known. Look at verse 4. Delight yourself in Yahweh, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This command is its like the opposite of the negative command the psalm starts with. Delight yourself in is reflexive. Just like you can get heated, you can turn in and choose to get heated, you can choose to delight yourself in the Lord. This is the choice then before us. When we're confronted with evil in the world, we can turn inward and stew with it, or we can delight in Yahweh. And we get a picture, just, I just did a little you know, word search on this Hebrew word delight, and you get a picture of what this delight is like. 
It is a delight of fullness and joy. It's something we were made for. In Isaiah 66, 11, where God's people, they're described as having this delight in the Lord and the salvation that God is bringing. And it's described like a baby that is nursing on its mother's breast. A few chapters earlier in Isaiah 55, God calls the people to hear him and to hear his word and to feast and delight in the richness of his word. And he asks a very practical question. He says, why do you spend yourself on that which gains you nothing? Listen to me. Delight in me. The kind of delight we're talking about is profoundly personal. It's like a child with its mother. It's deeply satisfying. It's like a rich feast. And it is this intimate, personal orientation to Yahweh, to this personal God that is reflected in the rest of the commands that I already mentioned, right? It is trusting a person who you know is trustworthy. It is committing your way to a person who you know is faithful. It is being still and waiting patiently because you know this person is faithful and good and everything that he has promised will come about. We are to have this orientation of looking up to Yahweh and, verse 3, we are to do good. What should we do when we're confronted with evil in the world? Look up, orient yourself to Yahweh, and do good. Be constructive. Where do you have opportunity to do good? Where can you act with faithfulness. Do it. I mean, this, this is so incredibly practical, right? Why spend time and energy stewing with anger, which is not leading you to do anything constructive or helpful to the situation? Why do that when you could orient toward the God that you were made to know, to delight in, to delight in Him, the source of goodness, and then to do good? This means that if you have power, ability, means to do good, to do repair in some situation, to build up, to help heal what's right, do it. Right? The psalm is not telling you just sit back and do nothing. If you have agency and ability in the situation or the relationship to do good where something wrong has occurred, do it. But the psalm is also wisely pointing out that you need a certain posture. You need a certain kind of heart to actually be constructive in those places. And it's counseling us, if in your particular situation you are limited in what you can do, like you're, you're watching something, let's say, that's happening in Ukraine, or you're watching something that's outside of your control, just heating yourself up, stirring the pot of anger is absolutely foolish. It is not going to do you any good and it is going to diminish your ability to actually go out and do good. I want you to imagine a situation. Imagine a person, let's say this is a teacher in a difficult public school setting. They see wrong happening all the time. They see things in the neighborhood 
that are wrong. They see things in the classroom that are not right. They see things in the school system. They see things with parents and families. They see things in the bureaucracy of the school. Let's say in this particular school system, uh, there are sometimes you know crooked things that happen. People who get promotions because they knew how to play the political game right, not because they were the best teacher or administrator, while those who are really well equipped and good, they just get passed over. I want you to imagine two responses to this situation. First, what I'll call the anti-Psalm 37 response, the opposite of this psalm. The person gets angry about the system. They get angry at the people. They sit and they just think about those meetings and they think about those people and they spew venom whenever they can when they're with family or friends. It's just how awful and how terrible everything is and complaining and, and they feed the resentment toward the, those they see getting ahead by crooked ways and this resentment and the bitterness it begins to spill out into their relationships and in their work and they themselves become bitter and they become corrupted by the evil they experienced. I want you to think about a second response. We could call it the Psalm 37 response. The wrong that happens around this person, it drives them to Yahweh, who is their shelter, their trust, their hope, their delight. And then from that place, they seek to do good. They invest in the kids that they can. They love the families of the neighborhood. Perhaps they give some extra time to, to tutoring some of the kids, or, or they start an after-school program to you know, help some of the kids. They seek to do good. They live out hope and love that focuses on the good that can be done, even though it kind of feels like they're engulfed in a huge mess. They live with faithfulness. They live with a fundamental trust in God's faithfulness. And so they don't lose hope and they are not corrupted by the evil that is surrounding them. What kind of life do you want to live? What kind of life, if you have kids, do you want your kids to live? How can we do this? How can we actually grow in what the psalm is telling us? Ted Lasso, uh, show uh, some of you I know have watched, uh, it's a show about an American football coach, like not super high up, like a, a college level football coach, who becomes the head coach of an English Premier League soccer team. Season two, episode one. There's a very important penalty kick that must be scored, and Ted and his other two coaches are talking right before the kick happens, and this is the dialogue. Nate, is it okay if I pray? Ted, yeah, of course, but to which God and in what language, you know? Coach Beard, you could cross your fingers and make a wish. Ted, there you go. Now, this little scene, it, it's a little dig, and it's making, they're trying to make a point about the unknowability of God, given the numerous beliefs of people in all sorts of places throughout the world and throughout history. But I think in this, they are correct. Praying to a generic God, a God you don't know personally, a God who may or may not exist, who you really don't know anything about, you might as well make a wish to the universe. And that will never change your life, and it will, you will never live this psalm. 
You can't do any of the things that this psalm calls you to do with a generic God. Right? How do you trust in someone that you know nothing about? How do you delight in someone if you don't know the particularities that you're delighting in? How could you possibly wait on someone and bank your whole life on someone, on a person coming through, unless you know that person's track record and their faithfulness and their character? One of the most important and also challenging claims of the Christian faith is that we can actually know the true God, the one who created all things, the one who has revealed himself throughout history in the scriptures. We can know this God personally. We can trust him and rely upon him and delight in him because he has made himself known. And actually, today, we, where we stand today, we have a greater knowledge of God than the writer of Psalm 37. Because we have Jesus Christ. Jesus whose name means Yahweh saves. Here is Yahweh, God in the flesh, God in person in our world. Here is the one that you must know if you are going to live this psalm. We've been saying this, uh, Jeff said this a few weeks, last week, and I think weeks before, for us to be able to live and sing the psalms, we have to first understand and see how it is that Jesus lived and sung the psalms. Jesus would have grown up singing Psalm 37, just like all the other psalms, and in his life he lived and he fulfilled this psalm. Think about it, right? Jesus came into a world of evil and evildoers. He came into a world that was bent away from God. His experience, his consistent experience, was being confronted with that evil and bentness and crookedness. God comes into the world as a person, and the people that he made, his creatures, respond to him with distrust, rejection, ignoring, and plotting to kill him. God the Son comes into this world with evil and bentness, and what does he do? How does he respond? He lives all things in relationship to the Father, by the power of the Spirit. He delights in the Father. He trusts in the Father. He waits upon the Father. When he is hated, he does not revile and hate in return. When evil is done to him, he does not respond with evil. I mean, look at Jesus. Consider Jesus and tell me that this is not someone that you want to know and you want to trust and you want to give yourself to. In John chapter 11, Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. He is confronted with evil and death. He is angry at evil and death. He weeps and is saddened by evil and death. And yet he does all of this in relation to God. He prays, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I say it out loud for the sake of those people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. And then he goes to the tomb and he responds with amazing constructive goodness and mercy and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And yet this Jesus who does all that is the same Jesus. He raises others from the dead and yet he himself willingly goes to the cross to die for our sins. And he goes, I want you to imagine as he's going toward the cross, he goes trusting the Father, waiting 
on the Father, silent before God, waiting for his vindication, waiting for God to overturn the verdict of the world, to overturn evil, and through his resurrection bring about life. Jesus is the resurrected King. And as that King, Jesus today by his Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is with every single one of you who has entrusted yourself to Jesus. The same Spirit who was with Jesus, his life and his ministry. And the Spirit is the one who points us toward Jesus, who helps us to follow him. This is how we can live in a world with evil. We can trust in Jesus. We can delight in who he is. We can see his faithfulness, his love, his mercy. And we can trust him and we can follow him, commit to his way, and seek to do good. Let me invite us to turn to a time of prayer. Every week after we hear God's word, it is an invitation for us to turn to the Lord, to confess our sins, to ask for his help in our areas of struggle and need, knowing that he delights to heal us, to forgive us, to restore us to himself. So let me give us a few moments to do that now, and in a moment I'll lead us in prayer.